All right. Gosh, it's kind of quiet after that. I thought I'd get more laughs on that one. So we're going to talk today. We're going to hopefully be switching over to the PowerPoint here. We're going to talk about living a life like Daniel, okay, and how you can be a blessing to others, how you can distinguish yourself at school, on the football field, on the softball field. So if we're going to understand how to live like Daniel, I think we ought to ask him. So Daniel, what do you... Well, wait a minute. No, no, sorry. Not, not our Daniel. He is a cool guy, and he definitely does distinguish himself. And you saw him back there with the bass riffs, you know, going on. But we're going to talk about the Daniel from the Old Testament, okay? So here's a newsflash. God needs you to fulfill your destiny here on this earth. Does it really surprise you to know that he is depending on you? No, wait a minute. Let's, let's go back and talk about that. So God wants you to fulfill a destiny. That assumes you have a destiny, right? Assumes you've got a plan, and that he's expecting you to fulfill it so he can advance what he's doing here on earth. Anybody think that? Do you think that every day? Anybody? How many of you, really, their prayer life is more like we saw in that video, right? I know I am. I, sometimes I just feel like I'm just asking for the same thing, so Jesus, you know. But that's not really the kind of fellowship he wants from you, right? He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to get to know you. He doesn't want the prayer life to be, you know, the rote, for the same thing over and over like a ritual. He wants to understand you, to get to know you, and to have a relationship so he can guide you in your life to that, to the destiny he's got for you. So you want some proof, right? Let's go to Scripture and look at the proof. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So before the beginning of time, before you were ever there, he knew you would be here, right here, right now, listening to some old dad, you know, Spencer's dad, Samantha's dad, talk to you. And he knows what you're going to do tomorrow and the next day. He's got a plan for you. But like in the Bible, they often just not only say it one time, they say it a lot. So, you know, hey, guys, pay attention. Jeremiah 1, 5 to 7. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Got to love Jeremiah's response here. God, are you kidding? Not me. You know, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. God responds, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. So even you guys, don't think you're too young. God's got something he wants you to do right now in your schools, in church, in your community. He's got a plan for you, right? Make sense so far? All right. Well, here's the truth. God does have an amazing plan for your life. He put in place before you were born. He's waiting for you to fulfill it. So this plan is good and pleasing and perfect. Actual Romans 12.2 says, Transform me into a new person by changing the way I think so I may experience your will for me, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you look at all that, why would we need to change the way we think? Because we don't think about we having a great plan, right? We don't think about God using us right now, today, do we, normally? So we need to change that thinking. And then it says, so I can experience, like right now, his will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So that begs a question, how can you do a good and pleasing and perfect life today, right? It's not that easy sitting in school and everything you're doing. Romans 5.17 takes it further. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness can reign in life through one man, Christ Jesus? Whoa, wait a minute. So we just talked about a plan and then I got to fulfill it and now reign in life? You guys have heard that song that talks about we will reign in him and you heard people talk about we'll reign in heaven, right? Oh, it's got a little nervous about the whole reign thing, like, you know, king, prince, whatever. But God does want you. He wants you to reign over, meaning to control your circumstances. If you've got problems, he wants to help you through them. He wants you to be able to succeed in your life today. 
So you're probably wondering now, what in the world does this have to do with Daniel? Because I was supposed to talk about Daniel, right? Well, Daniel is an example of all this, so let's take a look at it. What do we know about Daniel? Anybody? Come on, somebody's got to know about Daniel. Somebody's read it. What do you know? He can play the bass. Daniel can play the bass better than it, yes. What about Daniel Old Testament? Anybody know? Yeah, Lion's Den. So he's a prophet, right? He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He's that guy in the lion's den. Yeah, so he survived the lion's den. Right, we'll get into a minute why he was thrown into that lion's den. But some other things you might know about, not, might not know about Daniel. He was sent to Babylon when he was 16 years old. So Babylon, when it took things over, big, huge, honking empire, right? They started taking over all the different countries. And he was brought over when he was 16, so he started service in the Babylonian world real young. In fact, he and his three other buddies that are mentioned in the Old Testament were selected for special service and went through three years of training. So that's what Babylon did. When they took over a country, they took the brightest and the best of them, and they brought them in, and they took, especially if they're younger, and they trained them up so that when they went out, they could either serve Babylon or they'd go back to their own people and kind of make sure they're adopting the Babylon way of life. So this is what Daniel and his three buddies were doing. His life was characterized by faith and by prayer and by a lack of compromise. He's a perfect man of integrity. And in fact, interestingly enough, he served over three kings and across 80 years in Babylon, right? And one of the coolest things you may not know, of the 2,930 people mentioned by name in the Bible, he is one of the few whom nothing negative was written. That's kind of interesting. So if you think about that, even, even some of the big names like Solomon, right? You remember Solomon? Asked for wisdom, God gave it to him. God also gave him riches and power, but God didn't finish well, right? So there's some negative things written about Solomon. He kind of fell away from God. Daniel, not so much. Daniel distinguished himself. So let's take a look at what Scripture says about it. At the end of the time set by the king to bring him into service, the chief presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. He talked with him and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the other three buds he had with him in special service. So they entered the king's service. In the matter of wisdom and understanding, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. And by the way, don't get all hung up with magicians and enchanters. Who did all these kings turn to when they wanted to know, what does God say, right? The prophets of Baal, they were magicians, they were enchanters. That just means whoever the king turned to, the smart guys in the kingdom he turned to, he found Daniel and his three buddies there ten times better than anyone. Pretty special guy, right? Next king, Darius, it pleased him to appoint 120 officers to rule through the kingdom. That's how big this thing was. There were 120 different states or regions. They all had an official. Daniel was one of the three above them above those officers, and he so distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities that the king had planned to set him over everything. You're my guy. Think about this. I've acquired this country, these people. I found some leaders, but this guy was so exceptional, 10 times more capable, I'm going to put him in control over everything. So what was it about Daniel that prompted him to bless him with wisdom, understanding, and 10 times more capability? Right? Well, first he saw God. You look through the Bible, you look through the, the book of Daniel, he always sought God. He prayed out to God. It says that he prayed three times a day. Now, is it important that it's three times? Nah. It just means he was in fellowship with God, right? He probably wasn't praying prayers like that guy in the video did. He got to know God. He had a fellowship with him. And he gave God the credit. It said whenever the guys like Nebuchadnezzar, he interpreted the dream, he was very clear to say, this is what God told me. This is not my own words, right? So he kind of knew where his place was, and he trusted in God to give him what he needed to be successful 
in Babylon. So what was the result? The administrators and the officers tried to find grounds for charges against him in the context of the affairs, but they were unable to do so. This is the other guys in the 120, and they're sitting there watching Daniel, and they know he's cool. They know he's doing great stuff. They know he's separating himself out, and they're like, how can this guy be 10 times more capable than any of us? Well, it's got to be something to do with his faith, something to do with his God. So that's when in the lion's den, right? So they took him out, and they made a rule. You can only pray to Darius, and when Daniel didn't, they threw him in the lion's den, and everybody knows what happens. Nothing, right? He walks out of the lion's den. God protected him. But that's the result. So at the end of the day, Daniel was a witness. He was a witness for God. He was a witness for what he believed in. Because of, and because of who he was, God blessed him and helped him to distinguish himself. Daniel was a shining light in this dark culture. Why? Because he was extraordinary individual, extraordinary, something out of the ordinary. And he distinguished himself by his integrity, abilities, and his faith in God. So how about you? You're a believer in Christ, right? Are you being that light in the darkness? In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. And just a side note, I have a question here. So if you're a believer in Christ, this says that you're a shining light in the dark culture. Does that mean that everywhere you go, that place is lit? Uh, this is probably why dads shouldn't use the word lit and fleek in a sentence, right? Okay. Spencer's going to kill me for that later. All right. But, you know, it, it's got to be easy, right? Your world's easy. So being that light is a, easy to do at school, right, with all these other kids, non-believers, the world telling you it's got to be okay with everything. It's all easy, right? Easy for you to be that light. No? Anyone? Well, here's the truth and the reality. Don't you love my spinny PowerPoint things? I worked real hard on those spinny PowerPoint things about it. You can't do it on your own. You can't. All by yourself, you can't do that. You can't be the light in the darkness on your own. You need some help. John 15, 5 says that apart from Christ, you can do what? Anyone? Nothing. The counter to that, Philippians 4, 13, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Right, right. So there's the balance there, but you can't do it on your own. So what does it take to distinguish yourself like Daniel other than playing the bass? What does it take? Grace. Now, wait a minute. Grace? How does grace help you distinguish yourself like Daniel? What is grace? Come on, anybody. What's grace? Yeah? Right. Okay. That's true. It's, it's a gift. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. What else is grace? What is this gift he's talking about that we don't deserve? Anyone? Come on, somebody else. Yes, God's mercy, right? Because, because you are a believer, most people, 98%, over 90% of evangelical Christians say that grace is the unmerited from God salvation, right? The fact that you believe in him, Christ died for you on the cross, his grace means that you're saved and you're in the kingdom forever. Over 98% of Christians say that's what it is. But what if I told you that it was also God's empowerment to do things that are outside of your own abilities. His empowerment. He gives you power and strength to do things that you can't do on your own. That too is grace. So let's see if I'm right about that. John 1, 14 and 16, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And out of Christ's fullness, we have all received, that's my emphasis there, grace in place of grace. 
So grace came from Christ, right? His de death on the cross is where grace came from. God through the Father and the Son. And of Christ's fullness we have received. When you became a believer, you received this grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, just like he said. So you can't boast. It's a free gift, but you got to do what to get it? Anyone? Believe. Who said that? Yeah, cool. you got to believe. So how does it apply to you? 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, but yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's Paul talking there. Okay? Apostle Paul says, It ain't me. It's all about God. God gave it to me as long as I believed in Him. But I said empowerment, right? So how does grace and power relate to each other? 2 Corinthians 12.9, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is Paul again talking. So, grace made perfect, and my grace is sufficient for you. So, power is what God would give you, assuming you're weak, right? Now, that's kind of odd. What does that mean? Well, if you think about it, if you look at all the Old Testament, there's all these examples of God trying to say, it's about me doing things through you, it's not about you, right? You remember there was a special guy that had all this big army. His name was Gideon. Right? He had this big army. He was ready to go out against one of these guys out there and fight. And God said, no, you got too many. Cut it down to 3,000. Then cut it down to 300. And he went out against thousands of people. And of course, he, God gave him the victory. What about the marching around Jericho, right? It must have sounded really weird to talk about marching all around for seven days, doing nothing, blowing trumpets, and then shouting, and you expect the walls to come down. Why? Because God's proving it's him, not just the force of that army that made those walls come down. So God uses the ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. And he can do that through you today. Grace is God's empowerment. It's his way of giving you the ability to be that light in the darkness. Second Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Look at the tense on that, guys. His divine power has given us, past tense, we already have it, Everything we need for a godly life. You've got it. Does that make it easy? Even more than that, God's grace gives you the ability to distinguish yourself even more than Daniel. Ready? Here's proof. Here we go. Daniel, right? Come on. John the Baptist, greater than Daniel. Least in the kingdom, greater than John the Baptist, greater than Daniel. And the scripture is Jesus talking in Matthew 11, 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So he's better than Daniel. No one greater. But whoever is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. There are about 2 billion Christians in the world today. So what Christ is saying there is that, yeah, if you're right at the tail end of 2 billion, you're still greater than John the Baptist, still greater than Daniel. Why? Because the least in the kingdom has the power and the grace that comes from Christ to do more than what he or she could do on their own. And it even gets bigger than that. See, it's time to spin again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these. That's Christ saying, you can do even greater things. And you're sitting there, wait a minute. So Christ healed people. He raised them from the dead. We tend to think that miracles stopped right after Christ, don't we? But they, in Acts, all the other apostles did miracles. Disciples did miracles. And even today, that can happen if you what? 
believe. Christ did some really cool things, and he's telling you his grace and power made available through you when you're weak because of your belief in him can enable you to do even greater things. But we got to believe it. So what can you do with this divine power and grace? You got any limitations here? Ephesians 3.20 is pretty clear. Now to him, Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine according to his power at work within us. So let's break that one down. Christ is able to do immeasurably more than anything you could ever ask for, pray for, or imagine. So that's got to be our limitation, right? What do you ask for today when you're praying? What do you imagine you can do in life today? He's way able to do more than that. So the question is, how big are your prayers? It gets back to that video. Is it just little stuff? I mean, it's, it's cool to ask for help for your friends, ask help for tests when you're going to take in school. That's all great. God wants you to call, talk to him and ask him for things like that. But how big are your prayers? Do you believe you could be 10 times more capable on the softball field if you're a softball pitcher? Do you think you could be 10 times more capable on the football field, 10 times more capable with your studies in school? That's the grace and power that's available to you as a believer in Christ. But you gotta pray big. So now, Sean, really, how does this work? What do you have to do to utilize grace and power that God's given you? Well, guess what? The same question was asked by the disciples, right, with Christ. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires. And Jesus said, the work of God is this. Believe in me. That's it. Believe. Believe that he's capable, just like the guy that got out of the boat there. He's capable of walking on water, right? When he stopped believing, what happened to him? He fell, right? When you believe that Christ can do supernatural, extraordinary things in your life, watch out. But you, you cannot outpray God. Can't do it. Cannot give him, can't outpray him. That's all you have to do. Have faith, believe in God, and pray big prayers. And watch out. Through God's grace, you can overcome challenges, achieve the plan he set out for you, and distinguish yourself like Daniel. And again, we'll put it back up 517. So how much more those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, if you've got to receive it, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You can overcome your circumstances. You can help him, but you got to have what? A relationship? Got to be talking to him. It's like a friend. If you're a real close friend, not going to be a close friend with him unless you get to know him or her, right? Got to do that same thing with Jesus. And then believe he can do extraordinary things in your life because he set out this great plan for every single one of you. You just got to figure out how to tap into it. So let's pray us out of here. Father God, I just thank you so much for these students. This is an amazing youth group, and I just thank you for the leadership, and I thank you for the students, and I ask that you open their hearts up today, Father, to know that you've got this good and pleasing and perfect plan for every single one of us here, every single one of us, and that all we have to do is to have a good, strong relationship with you. We need to be believers in Christ, and if you're not a believer in Christ, you could be that today. Just say, Lord, I need you. Please come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. It's literally that simple. And if you are a believer, just believe stronger in his ability to come into your life and to help you out with everything that you're dealing with. And Father, I ask that you open their hearts to pray big prayers to you, to know that they have the grace, that empowerment that you've given them right inside them today 
to do extraordinary things for you and for your kingdom and to live out that good and pleasing and perfect plan that you've got set out for them. And Father God, we know it's not going to be easy. We know that students face challenges that, gosh, even parents and adults don't deal with, and it's not easy. But just be there with them. Let them know that you're always there with them, walking to them, and you're always accessible 24 by 7. They just need to call on you, spend time with you, believe, and pray great prayers. And I ask you to bless them today. In the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.